Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Ben and Sonia. Hi, welcome to Londoners, where we chat to the people behind the coolest things in London. Today we're talking to Sam Bombus, half of experimental food duo Bombus and Park. Ah. The Jelly Guys. Yeah, that's them. And also the Gin Clouds. The Lost Lagoon of Rome. The Sausage Seance. The Glow of the Dark Ramen. And the Museum of Ice Cream. Sounds bloody bumpus. You ready for this jelly? Ah, I'm not sure. Uh, too late, let's go. Well, it's a beautiful sunny day in East London. Um, and we've got the windows open. <laughs> and we've also got Sam Bumpus. Woo! How are you doing? Hi, Sam. Hello, hello. So first things first, you are, you're a wild dresser and you, you, you're blending into the wallpaper here, which is pretty quite special. Hard, quite hard to do. That's yeah. it. Did you, did you know the wallpaper forced. was going to be like this? Uh, no, I've been, never been to one of these places before. Interesting. How many patterned shirts have you got? Quite a lot. 20, 25. It's pretty good. 25. Do you hang them in an order of pattern or? No, be in an order of odour. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> What's been worn and then a big part and then it gets washed. I kind of imagining a very colourful kind of, ward, mm. you know, Mary Kondo style wardrobe of uh, you things. Your way through. Yeah. <laughs> you do it <laughs> Today's order. <laughs> Sorry, I've just derailed the whole thing. This part. <laughs> <laughs> just the shirt is mesmerising us, but we don't really know. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's begin at the beginning. You know, you're half of Bombus and Park. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us... What actually Bombas and Par is? So Bombas and Par, we try and give people phenomenal culinary or food-based experiences, um, but they can be quite ranging as, as to what they are. That was quick. I was expecting <laughs> more in-depth approach. <laughs> but do you get bored of kind of explaining what Bombas and Par is to, to new people or do you kind of have fun with it and reinvent how how you tell that story? No, I think I think... Because we work on a specific project and there's always something new that's happening, new exciting that's happening, you've always got a new story to tell. So at the moment, I'm thinking about smell a lot, but really it's thinking about the smell of other planets. So we're recreating the smell of the planets in our solar system so you can sniff, sniff your way around other worlds, um, which is happening in a crypt in not far from where we are now, Bethnal Green. But that means, it means that when you come to define yourself, you know, and how do you define yourself anyway? Probably shouldn't do it through work, but I probably probably see too much. But, but, you know, it means at least there are different ways through which to explain what it is that you do at any one time. But how did this start? So obviously you and Harry were friends before. 
that you kind of started creating these projects together um, or did you just kind of, did you meet through work or, you know? No, Harry and I have been friends for years and years. I've known him more of my life than I've not known him. Um, and so we used, to, we used to be really keen. We came together at first through music and um, met when we we're 13 and we're in something called Second Orchestra. And we're pretty terrible at music, to be honest with you. It's, it's the sort of charity orchestra. That, For the people you know, who don't get that, into first orchestra. Well, and the, and the people, I think his, his parents are really want them to see them play and do well, but they're not really destined to. So at least you're, in, at least you're somewhere. And I played violin, Harry played cello, and we're both on the back desk. So the main, main concern is getting our bows going in the right direction. So at least it looked okay. <laughs> I've just got a very strong image of you both as children doing this. It's very cute. <laughs> uh, but then... Then we sort of grew to like the same music. We used to go out to um, like King's Cross drum bass rows, things like that. And when we were about some 16 to 18 and then, then swiftly got into food and drink and we'd save up all our money to go eat in London's interesting restaurants. And um, from there, we very quickly got into making our own food and drink. And what was the first kind of food and drink that you were creating together? Was it jelly? Oh uh, yeah, it was. Thank you. Let's get that out of the way. We're just we're, we're straight into Let's the, talk about jelly. Straight into straight into the jelly, and uh, that that came about um, about twenty two or so, and uh, we wanted to do fun, something delightful for the weekend, and we sat down. This is when Whole Foods Market had first opened. It was I think it was in the first week of it opening, and we sat down there. We had a look round. It's like this, you know, great promised land a paradise of of, of expensive of expensive food. food that's supposed to be good for you but, yeah, but it was completely different from anything that was that was really in, in london at the time my food, I mean, the food scene was pretty terrible it was pretty elitist um you know people were starting to cook at home in interesting ways but uh, you know, it didn't really it didn't really manifest in what you're able to eat at, out and um we sat down and said let's do something let's do some let's make some uh interesting english food and we ran through all the different options and we thought that jelly would be the answer to all our dreams. And, <laughs> um, and that's when we started getting into jelly. We thought, we thought about it quite superficially. We just wanted to make fruity, fresh English jellies. Um, was this to eat or to kind of look at? No, to, no totally to, to eat. eat. Like, yeah. no, our, our idea was to get a stall at Borough Market because and, and there was no great rationale with this. There's no great business plan. Um, the market was just between the two of our houses. And so we thought that, that if we had a stall there, that would, that would keep us entertained. Um, and out of the pubs on on the weekends, but uh, then we sort of discovered that there weren't any really very good recipe books about jellies. And it's, it's you know I love when you start going into a wormhole of information, and, and the jelly wormhole <laughs> was rather I've never rather heard magnetic. this concept before. <laughs> I don't, I don't, think, I've ever, I don't think I've ever discussed the jelly wormhole before, but <laughs> but now we're definitely sitting at the very bottom of it. <laughs> The very, epi- very epicentered, yeah. Layers and layers of it. It's sticky down here. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> sort of really squelch around in here. But, you know, we've we, we seen starts making, literally spending tens of thousands of hours making jellies and finding all these sort of shortcuts through these rules that hadn't quite been articulated before between all the different jelly books. And um, then we thought it was good to tell people about them, share, share them to people. So as well as feed people jellies, isn't it? <laughs> What were those, those, some of those first initial findings? Well, first and foremost, it's about the history of jelly, which is just extraordinary. Um, well, if you're into as jelly as into Who jelly, invented jelly? Uh, well, so jelly predates Christ. Stop. And 
it's it's actually <laughs> it's actually said. So I learned for a long time. I read for a long time that the Egyptians had a hieroglyphic for jelly, but I've not been able to substantiate this. But I was um, reading about the guy that runs the materials gallery, uh, Mark, and he he writes about material science, and he was saying that um, actually a lot of the very early furniture that the Egyptians were making was put together with gelatin. And so they use it as a sticking agent, which would have been brilliant, except for when it's a rainy day, which obviously their furniture would literally fall apart. Sliding to the ground, (laughs) which which was probably the best thing I ever got to tell Harry because his other great passion in life is uh, laminate materials, and um, he likes shiny things. Well, (laughs) no, he's really he's really into um, plywood and different sorts of ply. I once gave a presentation in our studio for a half an hour on just plywood, just so that we could we could know. But he didn't know that the Egyptians used uh, gelatin and plywood to make furniture. I bet he was speechless. Has he tried to do that since? <laughs> not not yet, but I, but I subsequently found out that Stradivarius would use gelatin to glue those violins together, which is why the violins sound so brilliant, because it's very easy to take them apart if you've got it slightly off and put it back together as opposed to if you're using wood glue. Were you using that for your violin? Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> was like a, a sort of wonderful pairing up. If, if, if only we'd known that. You that, that smashed that up the cello, put well, it back together with jelly. Well, we only, we only discovered this in the last um, year or so. So, so the thing I love about jelly is, is even after 11 and a half years of consuming every jelly that I've ever seen on a menu, finding out about it, reading all about it, there are still unexpected sort of fonts of... <laughs> Uh, jelly joy and delight that are ready to erupt into your life at any one point. Ever, what's the best jelly you've had out in a restaurant in London? Uh, Is it on the uh, menu anywhere? It goes, it goes, no, it goes, <laughs> it goes in and out of favour. So when, when we started, that was when um, there were two like big trends happening. So one of them was, uh, you know, that sort of like English right revivalism that you might have seen with, with St. John. So St. John's always had jelly on the menu. It's still one of my favourite restaurants. I probably go there more than anywhere else. And it's always completely perfect. And there, there's all some strange characters in there as well who are sort of you know, part of London life. You know, it's going beyond um, Fergus and Trevor. You've got, you know, last time I was in there, there's Johnny Vacutra, who <laughs> with his wonderful bushy moustache and whatever vehicles he's driving now. It's always the story. Um, but uh, there's... Yeah, so at the time, there's also uh, molecular gastronomy was was exciting. Um, it's kind of a bit of a dirty word now, but if you're if you're a chef and you're putting tomatoes on your menu seventeen different ways, uh, jelly's going to feature in one of them at, at the very least. Savory jellies, yes. Savory I wasn't even jellies, thinking yeah. of savory jellies. Well, savory jellies are coming back. This is this is led by visual culture. So, like magazine culture has, you know, fashion photography has pushed savory jelly into the mainstream arena. Although not not so much eating, but certainly very Instagrammable lot, lot of, jelly. A lot of, lot of editorial mm. with savoury jellies. So, what's the worst jelly? Oh, sorry. I, thought, I think we've not even talked. We didn't. We didn't even get to what the best jelly was. Whoa, 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 What's the best jelly? I know. Honestly, like jellies that are served in restaurants don't tend to be that good. They tend to put too much gelatin in. Um, I'm always very curious because you can taste what a any particular maker's palate is like because jelly can be any flavour you want it to be. And, and like a cocktail, you're balancing off the different flavours within it. So the bitterness, the acidity, the sugar, um, the level of gelatin. And 
it's how someone triangulates between those flavors that you can then see what their actual experience of tasting the world is like. And you get that from making lots and lots of jellies with someone else. So anyone in our studio, I've got an inkling of how they apprehend the world through flavor just through the jellies they make, which is, which is quite, which is quite fascinating. Cause That's maybe I should have, we should have asked you what the best jelly, what your favorite jelly that you've ever made is. Cause maybe that will say more about you than, uh, you know, I, I thought favorite jelly I probably made was a port and plum jelly with a lot of rosemary and that actually went with a roast. Oh, that sounds delicious. That I was, thought you were going to say really with good. cheese and I was going to be into that as well. With the still well, no, with, with the roast, it was really, it was really weird as well. Cause you've got this like wobbly sort of mass on your plate, but it was just, it was just, just okay. Just, <laughs> just on the verge of being it was, acceptable. It was, yeah, it was, it was, a little, and there's still a little bit of taboo and reticence when it comes to, to savory jellies. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I love jellies that are shaped, jellies that have lots of stuff set inside them, jellies with a story, jellies with forms, you know, so you can get jellies that are shaped like you know, anything you can sort of imagine, really. So you've had jellies shaped like recumbent lions, like, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral was our, one of our very first jellies. We've made jellies with, you know, all, all sorts of different celebrities designing jellies. So everyone from Heston Blumenthal to um, uh, Lord Foster, Sir Richard Rogers designing jellies. It's... I'm, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm so excited about jellies. Eleven and a half years on, well, I was going to ask, quite, like, they're is, quite wonderful. Is it still, you know, you're often referred to uh, as the sort of jelly mongers, and jelly is obviously a thing that's kind of associated with you guys. Is that annoying, or would you like to move? I was going to say, would you like to move on from the jellies, but maybe not. No, like is it, you know, well, we have to come it's up with part men- of your repertoire. We, as part of the repertoire, we come up with new menus all the time, and at least it's not a struggle when it comes to dessert because you're like, well, people would expect a jelly. Not least as well, there's a lot of scope for innovation within the jelly arena. Not least because it's dynamic as a dish. So most dishes don't wobble, which means you can put movement into it into interesting ways. It's also translucent as well. So you can light it from within. So that means that I'm going to stop talking about jelly soon, but, but we still, we, we've we got could... the jelly arena, we've got the jelly wormhole. <laughs> Keep going. Well, we're going to get into the jelly future in a second. Oh, so the, good. The jelly... I want to see what's happening there. <laughs> the jelly future, we keep on discovering new things that you can do with jellies, which is, you know, the Victorians had layered jellies, they had trick jellies, joke jellies. So these trick jellies, you'd have a, a hollowed out orange, which had layers, layers of jelly within it. So you'd slice the orange at table. And within it, I think there's you know, a roar of different jellies and people would be mystified as to how, how they how they had occurred. But we've been recently making the world's first food-based hologram. Um, Explain a hologram, that. <laughs> a hologram within a jelly. And that, that we made for Easter last year. And that was actually Christ on a cross within a jelly that you could eat. As, as it was going. And we've was got lots more size? ideas. Was it sadly, size? sadly not. <laughs> of course like, it was. It has to be. <laughs> although this Easter, that's, that's where to go, right? Yeah, you've got to get, go big or go home with it when it comes to Easter. <laughs> um, what, uh, are there any other ingredients you've used as much as jelly in your career? Uh, no, absolutely not. He doesn't not. have the time. Absolutely not. This jelly, I think he does. I feel like, you know, you're quite magic. I feel like there's, you know, he's got a lot of time in his day for jelly and... Other accoutrements. Uh, and gelatin is very mystical. We also live in London. Well, I think 
in Britain, maybe. And one of the other magical substances is alcohol. Um, so we did lots and lots of alcohol creatively. And it, I think it's kind of interesting because both, both um, jelly being a dessert and alcohol being in beverages, they offer more scope for creativity. When you're, when you're trying to be creative with food, I think there are limits of taste when it comes to the main course, maybe a little bit less with like starters and, and petit four and canapes. <laughs> like canapes is our big new trend of 2019. Like canapes are back. <laughs> I would like that. I they're, they're good. They're like, you know, and we've been to lots of parties, there's lots of sort of finger food. Normally it's disappointing. And I've had some epic canapes recently. Um, mainly at top three, cool. <laughs> top three, and, well, all, all three of them were at, um, in, uh, the Connaught and, uh, like Helen Rose. Uh, she does, she does like, she does like, it's the ultimate party to get invited to. It's her, her 12th night party. And it's like on a, it's on like a Monday night. It's after Christmas. It's like, you know, it's like this, like Mount Olympus of the food world. Um, I think that I think that we only get invited because I write a really long thank you letter each year. <laughs> not not quite having believed that we've managed to make it in. Because you, you sort of look at you, you look around, and you're like starstruck. It's all the it's all the great and the good of the food world, and we've managed to like creep in the door. But the canapes there are something else. Each one of them feels like it's so weighty because there's so much like that and <laughs> Frenchness in it. Where does it. it go from being a canapé to a you know a starter? Is that a size? Uh, I think uh, price. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you, no you, one's paying you know, for canapes. You know, it's like, that's like that's like pornography and art. You know, that's true. You just got to taste it, just to look at it. You know, yeah. <laughs> Is it two bites? It's a canapé. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a, imagining this now. Yeah. As a, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite mystified though. Rhubarb catering won canapé of the year for the second time in a row, but we've been trying to get an interview in. With, with their head chef but i think they smell a rat i think i think they i think they think we're i think they think we're insincere about our canopy based enthusiasm yeah. well no they're, they're just they're Are just not trying, getting back yeah. to them. we I, like i want to find out more about the canopies and people's relationship with canopies is there a canopy wor- wormhole or <laughs> <laughs> and canopies do fill canopies do fill the hole though don't this is terrible this Move on. <laughs> I'm excited. If there are more canapes this year, I'll be down for that. Can, well, it's, it's going to be such a hot year anyway. There's, we've only got room we're for canapes. We're not going to be able to eat it because of global be warming. We're global too warming, hot. Just canapes. It's the only thing. Small bite-sized food. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> any other food we're trends gonna, that we're we should not, look no, out not, for? Actually, sorry. We're not going to be able to afford any food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just... Um, yeah. Are there any other food trends that you are on your radar for this year or that you want to start up? Uh, so food trends this year, like organic, organoleptics. So that means like food textures, uh, getting, getting, I'm really interested in food texture and language at the moment. And, and cause language defines how you're, how you perceive the world. Um, we've st- in Britain, we've started eating way, way more, like exponentially more Asian food. Now, we don't have very many words for texture when it comes to food. So in the English language, you have about 70 words for food texture. Um, in Japanese, you have 400 words for food texture, which means the, the Japanese understanding of food relative to texture is radically different from our own. So I'm quite excited if we're eating a lot more Asian food. <clears throat> and other Asian languages have not quite as many, but still exponentially more food texture words than, than um, 
uh, English does. Sunquanics, it's, it's really nerdy. Sunquanics likes to learn Japanese stop, now. Well, or, or define a new language of food texture, which which I think which I think will happen. Like so, if you look into so, uh, umami is a Japanese word. Uh, People do use that now quite a um, lot. Umami wasn't used at all in English uh, twenty years ago, and but it was it was discovered scientifically in Japan in 1909. And now that's migrated across to the way that certainly chefs talk about food, but actually the you know, burger chains in America called the umami burger. It's not, it's not, it's not that rare. Um, so that, that gives us this extra tool for getting inside the food and like how we can appreciate it. So I'm quite, I'm quite excited about that. And I suspect that might take a little bit of time to come through, but if you, if you reflect on how often you're using chopsticks now relative to five years ago or, or 10 years ago, it's, it's you know, a lot, a lot more. And so I think, yeah. I would like more words Let's to be able in- to describe food, I think. Yeah. When I'm writing food reviews, I'm always like, can I say that again? I need another word. Yeah. So yeah, could you make some... What's your, what's your most overused word? What's the word that you hate using about food? Tasty. Yeah. Because <laughs> 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 yeah. so, you want to be like, oh, it was just, it was very, oh, no, let's yeah. stay away from, yeah, tasty. Because you never want to say delicious either. No, it you just sound like... so fake. Do you, ever, do you ever use the wrong word? I On purpose, a, a writer, oh. so. I am um, probably. I would. Oh, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it. I mean, I've probably used the wrong word. I'm probably like offending people, maybe with the. No, I don't know. I don't think so. But I would like a, ba- a bigger food okay, vocabulary. I always try and say lugubrious about food, but it's definitely wrong. It's definitely I'm, wrong in most circumstances. I'm not sure what you would want, like, if you want your food to be lugubrious. <laughs> you probably don't, like, you probably don't want a lugubrious plate. It was extremely lugubrious. <laughs> hmm. um, so, yeah, over, how many years have you guys been doing this now then? Uh, so we're going for about 11 and a half years, coming up for, coming up for 12 years, which is a good, good long time. Uh, we've been on many adventures together. Um, met lots of interesting people, really annoyed each other. <laughs> Harry says I ruined his life at one point, but we, we've worked through that. Got through it. Yeah, it's good. So you guys have job. obviously done a lot of um, amazing projects, too many to kind of go through, but um, what's been your favourite? <laughs> tough question. Uh, it's kind of hard. Thanks <clears throat> asking the tough questions. I've, for me, quite often, like, you know, I, very enthusiastic about the most recent projects. Um, you didn't just like wipe the slate. You're like, can't remember the ones before. Well, I, I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the future rather than the past. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's not, not so much living in the now, but a bit living in anticipation of what's, what's happening next. But that's, that's because I did a lot of the initial creative concepting and forward planning of the business. So that's the sort of space where my, like my mental landscape is that I sort of travel amongst. So it means, so it means I don't spend a lot of time looking back and thinking about it. I, th- I think, I, I guess if you spend a lot of time thinking about the sorts of projects we do, because it's very heavy production and events based, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of hard work. Um, there's quite a lot of drama involved. Um, I, I don't know if you'll go set back out to do it again. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, event, the, events, the events in catering world, it's, it's largely staffed by people who are sort of 30 and under. And, and there's a real reason for that is that... They've got energy. But, well, no, they, they haven't learned their They've lesson. Naive they haven't, they're naive. They haven't learned their lesson yet. And, and you realise you can make more money 
by doing a lot less work and making your life a lot less stressful if you do lots of other things. Um, but you probably don't have quite as interesting scars. <laughs> <laughs> Mental and so, so, it's best, so sometimes it's best not to spend too much time lingering on, on what you've done in the past. But, but Are there any though that you, that you have actually loved that you thought, God, that was a bloody great idea. And we'd like to do something, you know, similar again, or. Well, have you, have you heard of euphoric recall? No, tell me more. So euphoric recall is the phenomena that when you do actually bother looking back into the past, your brain erases lots of those negative thoughts that I was just talking about. Wasn't that a Black Mirror episode? <laughs> but I don't even, they've done everything. Yeah. Anything, everything's slightly sinister. I feel like sinister, I have the opposite. I feel like when I look back, I've just forgotten all the good bits. <laughs> I'm just like, only remember the negative bits. What's the opposite? Yeah. Like the, the nadir of your... Yeah. It's a bit dark. Sorry. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's been the biggest uh, sorry, I'll answer, answer, I'll, sorry, answer the question. Um, there's loads of stuff I've absolutely loved. We hosted Jelly Banquet when we we're just out the gate and um, hadn't quite realised put tickets on sale, two, sold two, put tickets on sale, sold 2,000 tickets for an exhibition about jelly and architecture. We'd never put on an event before. Um, it was probably the steepest learning curve I've ever gone through. It was... More, namely learning that if you have a party of 2,000 people, you might want to book in some people to help you clean up, not just do it yourself with a bin bag, yeah. especially when they're able to bring the, all their own booze as well, because there's a lot of mess, uh, especially if there's jelly wrestling involved too, because that'll be <laughs> <laughs> mess across miles and, and it's very sticky. Uh, but uh, yeah, so everything from that to uh, alcoholic architecture, that was that was just wonderful creating a breathable cloud of cocktail that intoxicated through the lungs and eyeballs to recently last summer we created scoop a wonderful ice cream world which was you know the perfect summer for it in london's like london's hottest summer i can remember and to put on a museum exhibition with fourteen thousand ice cream related objects and glow in the dark ice cream and things like that that was really quite wonderful that does sound incredible do you think like um Instagram has kind of helped you guys propel in get, getting the word out to all the crazy, wonderful stuff you do. I think I think that Instagram has radically changed the food scene. So I think Instagram's entirely responsible for the way we eat now, and not because you know it's allowed chefs to travel the world very, very rapidly, picking up the best ideas and sharing them. And before, if you're working in the food industry, you're below ground working br- like absolute brutal hours like and and you know frankly if you want to go to a lot of like fancy restaurants they're really really expensive so or you'd spend your time waiting for other chefs monographs to come out and so you'd only see the very very top people and they'd bring out a book which would be like their life's work like you know once every seven years or something and you don't you don't get to see any of the failures the tests the things that were like slightly more out there and now you can just you can just scud over in a matter of minutes what everyone's doing in their kitchens, which means that innovation is very very quick. It's very competitive, um, and it makes it an exciting time to be a fit chef. Like the other thing as well is like food has inc- massively increased in status just because of Instagram. So I remember when you started going into food, and and you know like the other the other, other contemporaries were becoming professionals. And yeah, I mean, kind of looked down their nose to getting a job in, in food and drink. And, and like, certainly a lot of, a lot of older people thought that 
that you know me and harry are pretty soft in the head like you know just like yes <laughs> have your little hobby job you know really sort of condescending and it's it real like well that'd be nice but when are you going to go get a real like when are you going to get a real job and um i think i think that's changed a lot like food's become very very aspirational um the status of it's changed and, and I- this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane it's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with olive in june the difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the manny system is a complete game changer the best thing about olive in june too is it's a quick dry dries in about one minute lasts for five days and full coverage in up to one to two coats visit oliveandjune.com slash perfect manny 20 for 20 percent off your first system that's oliveandjune.com slash perfect manny 20 for 20 percent off your first system there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com weight loss. That's PlushCare.com weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details i think a lot of that's because instagram lets people perform their food world not necessarily a good way um there's obviously a lot of showing off anxiety or you know all the all the problems we know about social media that are involved with it but you know at the, the end of it we're able to eat much better now as a consequence that's like you know sort of like arms race of foodness has, has meant that, that the actual food we do eat is a lot tastier. Mm, yeah, that's true. I think that's right. Um, that was what? a really long answer. No, it's good. I we're not, we're not, you know, we're not, and I think our sort of practice isn't particularly Instagram based. We don't have like a huge I guess following. a lot of stuff you do is quite visual though. It's other people are Instagramming it. Maybe not. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. It's very visual. Like, you know, yeah, we got a, when we started out making jelly, like we like landed, landed on our feet because it is so visual. Like you take a photo of it. It's, it's, it's almost impossible not to take a wicked photo of a jelly. If you want to, if you want to show off on your Instagram feed, if you want to get loads of likes, then picture of jelly's it. Like, yeah, <laughs> Noted. Doing that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned there a little bit about the kind of the things going wrong and the, the learning aspect of it. So what has anything went super wrong where you've just been like, oh shit, what the hell do we do now? Well, I think, I think we have now learned to be very comfortable in the center of a sort of maelstrom of failure. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Quite> poetic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, 
to be honest with you, when everything's, it, I feel more uncomfortable now when everything's absolutely perfect. Like think, what's about to happen? That, <laughs> you know, there's some impending doom is about to sort of engulf you and submerge you. And, 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 you know, as much as anything else in the events world, it's just, you learn very quickly that you have to be nice to people all of the time because, yeah, in actual fact, like, you know, you're going to pass this sort of crisis moment and you're still going to be speaking to the same people. It's just still the same lot. lot. And it's, it, it's really what it comes down to. And the people that I love working with are those that, that just smile through it all and like learn to enjoy it. And it's, you know, if you're out to sea, you get hit by a wave, you could let it wash you under and panic or you could, you could surf it. And yeah, it's, it's like, I've never been surfing, by the way. I imagine you could. I imagine you could one with the right skills. Um, a lot of the stuff so, that you do is quite fun and quite sort of. I mean, I'm going to say silly, but um, do you have a kind of serious, more serious mission that you want to like? Anything that you kind of trying to portray with the stuff that you're making? Well, I think I think fun is quite serious. Um, I think you know. Explain. Well, no, like you know, when you get to the end of your life. Think about this, Karl Lagerfeld. He's made his, you know, fifteen collections of year, eighteen collections a year, or something. How, like, you know, on his deathbed, what does he look back and think about his life? And actually, he's pretty pleased. Oh, I imagine he's pretty pleased with it. He's he's got a lot in. He's like very multi talented. Thinking about Schuppet, his cat. Schuppet, the richest cat, the richest cat in the world. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, I, yeah, most people probably would like to have some fun in their life. And I think that is important. That is important. And, and, you know, we get to spend our life creating joyous moments for other people. And, and, you know, one of my favorite moments was when a seven-year-old got tucked in after being at one of our events and said it was the second best day of his life. Oh, <laughs> which was, what was the first? Which was, I, you know, I, I, absolutely no idea, but that was, that was for me, giving people the second best day of their life is also important. We're not saving lives not doing those important things but that's important but at the same at the same time you know our studio has the average age has gone from kind of 22 and it's like kids and kids with tools and we make parties and we all party to you know it's now probably in the early 30s and um yeah as the studio's grown up there's some people have other interests they want to bring into it um and you know, I've been interested in sort of things like education, politics. How do you bring that into the realm of food practice without it being sort of stultifyingly po-faced? And you know, there's a lot with there's a lot with like right thinking of food that's very like hectoring and telling people you're doing this wrong. You should feel bad about it. When clean food, dirty food. Clean food, dirty food. Like you know, give people more insecurities which they don't really need. Um, but how do you how do you help people? have a wonderful relationship with food in a way that's quite joyous. And, and so, you know, our answer to that is, is really our work around the British Museum of Food, which is trying to create food and food knowledge within the cultural arena. So, you know, the first big foray with that was was ice cream, which is <laughs> definitely not um, the healthiest of food, but it still can be the, the highlight. It can be the highlight of someone's day. And I think that's that's important too. But you know, the the intent with that is to create a new cultural institution about food and drink that helps ultimately inform government policy, uh, educational agenda, um, yeah, and and uh, primary production in the country. Yeah, so it's a bit more it's a bit more serious, but there's still room for fun within that seriousness. Yeah, it's a lot a lot about how you kind of try and communicate that to everyone else. Because you you have some amazing ideas. Um, what's like the approach 
to for them to come to life? And do you get a lot of kind of pushback and say you you can't actually do that? Uh, and I think I think the main thing with ideas is is going out and doing lots of research, and so you need you need content in your subconsciousness in order to give forth creative ideas. And like London must be one of the best cities in the world to be able to do that. It's sort of impossible. I mean. <laughs> You know, you're entertained constantly. But I, I guess one challenge with London is you're so entertained all the time by the, the machinery of the city, the great museums, all the happenings, all the people that are around you that, that I think sometimes Londoners aren't, aren't necessarily very good at entertaining themselves, which is... They're lazy because they're just used to well, kind just, of finding stuff. Well, you're just, you're just, you're, yeah, you're just ready to be like entertained all the time. You, know, you open up time out, you're like, entertain me, London. Like, you know, <laughs> sort of thrust upon me your great lights out and whatever it is but um you know so so we start off with lots and lots of research i love like going and borrowing into the borrowing again into the london library and all the stacks and all the all the sort of wonderful books that they have there we've now got a very good studio library as well um so it's using that and then all the sort of cultural capital around london be it the Soane Museum or the Barbican's Jungle Conservatory or, um, you know, I've now got a year's pass to the launch pad area of um, the Science Museum, which is where where you'll go as a kid. It was only five pounds more than a a normal entrance. I was like, like, definitely coming back here. It's great. Um, But uh, yeah, so I was there over the weekend researching colour and what can you do creatively with colour and and planets as well. Well, they've got got a huge, uh, what are they called? Uh, Planetarium? Like planetarium, really? Yeah. I need to go back there. I haven't been there in a lot. That's well, no, for five pounds no, extra, quite, you can go it's 15, for a year. It's fifteen pounds. It's actually quite, 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 quite expensive. You're going with the family, but um, um, not so what, if you go every weekend. <laughs> who else do you think are doing is doing cool stuff in London at the moment? Uh, okay, who's doing cool stuff? What I've been to recently that melted my brain. Um, so I feel it's all there's a lot of stuff going on in London, but actually, there's not that much. No, that, stuff I that's super there's, exciting. There's, and there's loads of stuff. There's there's a lot of the the events organisations that Bombs Pass sort of evolved with. So you saw saw them coming up. Like you know, I remember like Punch Drunk and the, the, some of the first Punch Drunk shows. And you know, now they're obviously you know global players having to find you know, a genre of 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 theatre. Um, like secret cinema, like just go from, you know, epic show to epic show. And, and yeah, the, the, the magnitude of their productions is just, it's just incredible. It's just utterly fascinating to see how they produce so much detail for so many people. And the Romeo and Juliet show, which had 5,000 people a night was, was just sensational as a, yeah, as, a as a production. Um, you know, especially when like, you know, it's, Really, really rather wonderful, but there's still people doing innovative stuff. So dot, 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 who are doing a similar sort of approach, um, but using technology. So they did the show Somni and they've got a new project coming out, which is called War of the Worlds, which, you know, again, it's got a 22,000 square foot site for it, which is, you know, in, like impressive being able to muster this. And I, I also think the, in, the interesting thing that you're seeing in London at the moment is you've got a convergence between um, a number of different sectors all gearing to give you or like yourself as a Londoner an interesting time out and uh, a day out. And so, so you're seeing, so what we're saying is, is um, uh, 
cultural institutions, uh, developers or people that own some property and sites, uh, retailers, uh, you know, theatres, all trying to get into this, and, and brands as well who are, who are able to fund it, all trying to get into this entertainment space. Immersive kind of entertaining. Just, just, give, just giving you something that you would like to go to and spend your time doing your, your sort of precious time when you could be doing anything at all. And, you know, some of it's absolutely dire and some of it's very, very good. Well, sure. Speaking of uh, good stuff in London, <laughs> um, shall we move on to the next round? This is our question time round. Okay, where, let's go. Um, we're going to ask you some questions, uh, you know, about London facts, which I feel like you're going to know mm. all of these things. Um, can you name five foods that were allegedly created in London? Well, I just got to think as a London native, so it must be um, you know, something with the eel pie, pie and mash. Um, how about we, how about we give you some, and then uh, you can say if you think it is. Uh, created in London or not, like um, Scotch egg. That's from Fortnum Masons. Bing, correct. And their Scotch eggs are still very, very good. They're brilliant. Their chili, their chili Scotch egg is one to go for. Yeah, that's a, that is a great one. And although I always like whenever I'm there, like grab one, they're walking down a <laughs> German street, gorging on a Scotch egg. and They're not a very glamorous <laughs> thing like, to eat, really. You're sitting there going like, God, I really, really I hope, hope. I don't get this on my nice shirt that I've just bought at German street. Well, no, the, shirt, the shirt's totally fine because there's so much pattern on it. But I feel like that's a very chic street, German street, because there's lots of like, you know, outfitters. Uh, shirt shop. So I used to work in a shirt shop there. So actually, actually, that's where that's where I got into pattern because uh, I, used to, I used to work in a shirt shop there that wasn't like terribly cool, but it was it was like a big label in Nigeria. So they have some amazing pattern shirts? They didn't have that good pattern shirts, but like the customers would come in and they love, like the customers from Nigeria would love all the patterns. And I'll be helping them pick out shirt tie combinations. And at first I was like, oh, they don't go together. Like, you know, like, You're like, oh, maybe they do. And then I was like, hang on. This, this, these are amazing, ostentatious colour clashes. point so, out that so, uh, Sam has a different pattern trousers from his shirt. That's, yeah, that's for the listeners at home. <laughs> so it's all from German Street. All from the Scotch egg, actually. All from the Scotch egg. <laughs> um, what about the Bourbon Biscuit? Uh, that is from the Peak Freen factory, uh, which is in Bermondsey. Absolutely spot on. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I told you he'd know this. I've, right. I've actually, the Peak Freen factory used to have a... Um, used to have a Peak Freen Workers Association. So they're all retired now. The factory doesn't make biscuits anymore. But they also used to make the Twiglet there. And uh, Twiglet, that's not on the list, but and that would be good. Extra facts. And, and pink wafers as well, mm. and uh, which, was, which was amazing. So you used to be able to... So I went and met all these, these old guys and had everyone from the MD of the factory to the people that like, put everything in boxes. And they'd meet up every other, every other week. And then one week it'd be teas and coffees. Not that many would come. And then two weeks later it'd be wines. <laughs> and, and everyone would be down. Wine and bourbons. <laughs> wine, and, <laughs> wine and bourbon biscuits. I'd be quite into that. And uh, so this is in the old Rotherhide Museum, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it used to, yeah. they, they were having this next to um, a hundred year old, uh, not quite a hundred year old, <laughs> a, a version of the States that um, a coronation cake that they'd made for elizabeth ii's coronation and oh, wow. it was just it was just spectacular six foot cake but then sadly the museum got broken into and vandalized so the cake was torn apart by feral <laughs> feral, feral, <ye> foxes. <laughs> feral foxes <laughs> 
Any right. more? Sorry, we've got through no, two. No, that's good. You've done well so far. Okay, keep going. The Peach Melba. Peach Melba from the Savoy Hotel. God, this is yes. a really easy one. Yeah, see, I told you. It's too easy for him. So Peach yeah. Melba, I've got to say, take a leaf out of um, Escoffier, who was the chef at the Times book. And if you've got someone important coming around to dinner, don't choose change what you're making for them. Make exactly the same thing. Just name the dish after them. Like the Arnold Benedict omelette. Like the Arnold Benedict omelette, <laughs> yes. On the, the next list. one. <laughs> and it will make their day. <laughs> so I've just made tonight uh, a Sam Bombas souffle. Oh, wow. Like Sam Bombas tea. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's a very good idea. That's great. <laughs> All right, one more. Smoked salmon. Was that from form, like Foreman's, the salmon makers? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Bloody hell, he's good. All right, okay. Well, you basically won that round. So uh, I think we were... Uh, oh, Earl Grey tea also. Oh, I don't know about that. Is that, was, uh, that, was, that from Fort, was that from Fortnum's though? I know, but it sounds like everything on your list was actually from London. Yeah. Yeah, that okay. was... Ben, it wasn't even... Di- he, he was double bluffing, see? Okay, <laughs> it's okay. all about the double bluff. Right. Um, yeah, created uh, for Charles Grey. So that was another one being named uh, after someone. I don't, I don't really like Old Grey tea, though. Oh, what about was, Lady Grey? Which is even worse. Do you like Yorkshire tea? Uh, I, I, no, I like, no, I like, I, I like, I like, you know, I like English breakfast tea. And, it's a tea purist. Which is, you know, normal, fine. But actually, yeah, I probably drink uh, oolong all the time, oh. which has a higher caffeine extraction. It's, I'm just higher than matcha. I'm drinking quite a lot of matcha and I'm feeling very wild at the pretty, moment. Pretty wild. <laughs> pretty wild, yeah. Oh, that's me. Um, well, you know, that was so, yeah, those were all created in London. Mm. Yes. And also the fact that you named all of the places very extra bonus points mm. for that. Thanks, Sonia. Um, so let's talk about your London. How long have you been a Londoner? Were you born here? Yeah, I was born in Guy's Hospital. And so, and I still live in Southwark. And you haven't gone far? Uh, not very far at all. And yeah, it's just, it's completely delightful seeing London change and evolve all the time. What's Southwark like as an area to live? Because that's near where your studio is as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's entirely geared for like a very, very short commute, um, which yeah, just makes me, makes me thrill. Every, every day I go for a jog along the Thames and uh, yeah, I love, I love going and smelling the Thames every morning and it's, yeah, it's quite dank. And it? How far are you from the Thames? Are you at? Uh, a small run. Uh, yeah, like ten, like ten minute run, and then then zap up and around the Thames. You see all the atmospheric conditions, um, which is like fascinating. I, you know, London looks gorgeous now. It's because of the pollution. The air pollution is terrible. But I, I never used to think of London as being a terribly beautiful city. And then you realise that that painters used to come from all over the world to paint. London atmosphere in the 19th century. Smog. And, and that was because of the pollution. And now pollution's back. It's it's looking great again. God, I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, the city is looking very nice tonight out the window, it, but that's, yeah. So that's why, that's why you're getting all your beautiful coloured sunsets, sunrises. It's why you're getting all your sort of like misty mornings with the with all the buildings emerging it. from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a plus point. On, on the flip side, the mayor's committed, what's it, 780 million to Getting rid of that. Tackling that. So, you know, we're, do, we're, you know, we're doing something doing as a city about it. So where do you go for inspiration in, in London? Oh God, everywhere. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's hard not to like, you know, so on the weekend, I love walking around uh, the city itself, which is like this strange ghost town of, of, you know, relics of 
empire and imperialism. So quiet the weekends as well. It's so quiet. But then, then you come across these, like, these dense packets of rackets and noisiness and enthusiasm and a bit like, you know, is it, you know, there's sort of clubs that have off hours. So they set out to, you know, you know, group people in from the countryside. There's a really strange crowd of people there. Or is it, um, yeah, so all the tourists, you just come across these like shafts of people shot through the city, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, so I go around the city on the city on the weekend when it's, when it's really quiet. Um, I use all the museums a lot. I'm in, in so, live so close to South Bank and probably go to the bookshop and Tate Modern. Never go, never go into Tate Modern and see the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always in the bookshop. The bookshop's brilliant. It's and an excellent bookshop. So yeah. So spend, spend all my, all my money in that bookshop, um, which is just brilliant. Uh, go to, go to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, I, because I've, I'm always so behind, so I always have to do lots of work on the weekend as well. So I don't want to just sit at home. It's the weekend, so you want to go. So I try and go to places that are beautiful to work and interesting to work. Um, recently, I've normally go to the new Spirit Land underneath the Festival Hall, and so they've just got epic sound system. Their nice co- co- cocktail list is on point. Interesting people, nice bar staff. Um, it's not busy. I don't know why it should be really busy. People I'm, haven't discovered it yet. People haven't discovered it yet. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there going like, I'm just going to enjoy it as much as possible because it's going to be rammed. I'm not going to be able to get a table. But you know, at the moment it's just open. It's really quiet and it's, you, know, you can get, get a lot done. You mentioned uh, St. John before uh, about being one of your favourite restaurants. Stone. Oh, St. John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was back still on museum, sorry. <laughs> but what, what other foodie haunts do you uh, frequent? Uh, so Anchor and Hope in Burroughs. Like, it was kind of like the first, well, apart from the Eagle, the Eagle, I think, was a f- holds the claim to being the first gastro pub, but I think it's like about the second. And the, and the meals are just exactly what you want to eat every time. So that's that's always top notch. Um I'm not not a snob about what I eat. So, like last last Sunday, I've been to like just a ton of different museums. Like walked a lot across London. It's just really hungry, and and um, uh, my girlfriend and I just like popped into McDonald's and they were guzzling it <laughs> behind What's what used McDonald's to be order? behind behind Waterloo Station. Is it classy <laughs> joint? <laughs> <laughs> It was actually like on top of a bollard. <laughs> like I, you know, I've lived in Suffolk for a really long time, so I should know better. I know a lot of people, but I, I, you know, I don't mind. But is that Sam over there eating McDonald's? But it's just just loads of people came up to me and they're like, "Oh, I see you're doing well. Like big oh, night." Wow. <laughs> I just had no like, Yeah, straight. I, I tried to interest them in 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 um what they're eating. And you just say you're doing research. I'm doing research for another project. Uh, I can't tell you about the happy meals. <laughs> but McDonald's, McDonald's is fascinating. It's the only place I got turned down from a job. I pl- applied, was it, nine, nine years ago for a job at McDonald's, the one in London Bridge, which is now the Science Gallery. And it was only because really just wanted to learn how you do do a proper like production line on burgers because we're opening a, we're opening a burger pop-up. It's like burger, burgers weren't cool like nine years ago. You, it was like, Pre patty and bun. Like middle, well, like middle, if middle class people would be like a shame, like there'd be burger shame, and it just wasn't normal. It's, you know, it's, it's cha- like the foodscapes changed very dramatically. Um, but I got turned down for a job there. That's a good. <laughs> Did you ask for feedback? <laughs> no, the, I, I, the manager says, "Why are you doing this?" I, said, I just want to learn about your production process. He's, he, said, he, said, he, said, he said, I'm very, very tempted, but I don't think you're joining for the right reasons. Oh, you could have had the gold stars. Uh, yeah. Anyway, 
It's enthusiastic. <laughs> One day. A lot of your stuff that you do is kind of, well, some of the stuff you've done is architecture based. What are your favourite buildings in London? So I'm not, I'm not the architect. Uh, so Harry, Harry's my business partner, is now a qualified architect. Uh, so I'm, you know, I, I always loved the Barbican. The Barbican's, you know, just playground of brutalism. Uh, we actually made a, a one-ton concrete cake for their 30th birthday, must have been 40th birthday or so, uh, when, it, when it was finished. Um, well, it, was, it, it was all uh, Breton Bruges and ball-hammered concrete set through with bits of resin. It wasn't, it wasn't so tasty at all. But that, and it's, it's, you know, it's amazing because the uh, architects designed it, spent their entire lifetime of their practice making that one complex. So it means, yeah, if you can imagine just working on one thing for your entire life. That concrete you know, they, is very... And they, very did some, they did some other stuff as well, but it's the detailing of every single stair rail. It's, it's, it's My dad used to live there and I can tell incredible. you that concrete is rough. I mm. fell over on his balcony <laughs> and it will take the skin off your knee, that is for sure. Mm. Let me tell you. All right, Sam, right? Let's, um, let's uh, bring out the bowler hat. Bring out the bowler hat. The London Lowdown. Uh, so what we're going to get you to do, there's a whole bunch of uh, random uh, questions on paper in there. If you if you want to pick one out and then read it, and if, if you've got an answer, a story, whatever, let's, uh, let's go through it. Uh, lock, if you could be locked into anywhere in London overnight, where would it be? Um, and I'd say probably uh, maybe like the chemistry department at UCL. Or, what have you got planned? Come on, <laughs> tell us about this. Well, they're just, they're just, you know, I'm always enthusiastic about what you can make with chemicals. I like making DIY fireworks. It's not terribly safe. Do you have to have um, a license for that? <laughs> well, there's, there's certain chemicals which, if you order them, they're, they're restricted. Um, we did have at one point the Metropolitan Police um, came to our studio. Like, they, what are those banging? <laughs> What's that sound? <laughs> and they asked to speak to our head barman, um, Adam Locke. And uh, Adam's just a really, really wonderful guy, like really, really great. And, <laughs> and our studio manager said, oh, it's so very funny, Adam, like the police are here to see you. Maybe you want to sit down in the meeting room, have a quiet time with them away from everyone. I'm not quite sure what it is. And it turned out he'd, he'd ordered every single chemical to make a bomb. Oh. <laughs> this is, what this was is, he actually making? This is because he was, he was doing something for the promotion of a mafiosa-based computer game in which he made gunpowder-laced coffee to be drunk by Vinnie Jones. <laughs> and that got flat. And the first I found out of it was, was um, this wonderful like, letter of apology that was written to the Metropolitan Police that I got copied in on this that email. Great. Saying, sorry for wasting your time. You actually have lots of very serious things to do. Well, it's good they're checking up on that stuff. <laughs> but it's know? good, it's good yeah. they're checking up on it. So that's, well, that's okay. So if you hear any loud noises coming out of UCL, we know what's going on. Okay, next. Okay. Next up is... If you had to go to a fancy dress party dressed as a tube station, what would it be? Turn them green. <laughs> I want to see this outfit. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to go into lots the of, Lots of greens in the wardrobe at the moment. Okay, all it's right. really, really great green Kenzo trousers that look like sort of flappy curtains. Flappy curtains. <laughs> I want to go to this party. But they're green. It's, I think it's based think, on okay. Rousseau's jungle. For, you know, that was some base paint. <laughs> Set up the party, Ben, come on. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, Favourite local restaurant? Uh, Lord Clyde Pub. It's not a restaurant. 
we talked about, I mean, we've already covered like favorite, favorite restaurants. That's we've okay. Not, we've not covered pubs though, so I think, I think pubs need to get a look in. That counts as a restaurant, you know, it's your local. It is, it is unbelievably great. Things you miss when you leave London, 100% the people. I thought um, you were going to say pollution. No, 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 no <laughs> pollution. It's just, it's just like, you know, you go to New York and everyone's hustling all the time and just need to like relax a little bit. You go to LA and everyone's way too relaxed and like weirdly friendly. It's just creepy how friendly they are. <laughs> yeah, I like how like London, like if you're being a dick, people say you're being a dick. Like, you know, it's great. It's, it's you know, people tell you to, and they give you, they give you a good sense of perspective. <laughs> but also if you need help, they do help you as well. And, and I, I kind of find London as a bit like creme brulee. They're kind of hard on the outside. But then, then something happens, like an in, in incident happens and they really open up and they're, they're wonderful and they're warm and they're sweet. And, and yeah, I love Londoners. Oh, well, I think that's a pretty good end. To the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> Two long answers, sorry. Great chatting to you. That that's was great. great. Thank, Thank you, you so very, much, very much. Sam. Really, really fun. That was intense. I think we all learned something here today. Mainly. Mainly that there's a lot to know about jelly. Correct. Well, listeners, thanks for listening. Please like, share and subscribe. And if you've got a call under know who you think we should chat to, tweet us at London Inside. So tune in next time for another great chat with a Londoner. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.